This is the Frogcast. And welcome to the Frogcast. We have so much to talk about today. The Frogs win 44 to 31 with a big win. Our first win in a long, long time in Stillwater. Our first win in Stillwater since we joined the Big 12. The Frogs look great. The hype train is starting to get ramped up. We have a lot to talk about, about what went right in the in the game against the Oklahoma State, expectations for the um, moving forward for the rest of the season, that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, guys, last time we talked, we had some kind of uh, uh, tamped-down expectations of what would happen in this game. I don't think any of us were expecting to exactly have happen what happened, but the Frogs got a big win, and I am excited to talk about it tonight. Jeremy, Jeremiah, you guys both predicted that the Frogs would lose, not that I will remind you of that constantly for the next several weeks, but let's just start with the most basic question. You guys have followed this team closely for a long time. What did you see from TCU in this win against Oklahoma State that you did not expect? How did they push the envelope in a way that you didn't see coming? Let me put on my purple glasses real quick, Jeff. Hold on. I got to put them on so I can talk about this game. I'm giving you a hard time, by the way, because I can't choose with purple glasses on all the time. Uh, the, the thing with this game, I thought, uh, you know, it fooled a lot of people. I mean, we, not a lot of people were predicting, uh, TCU to go up there. And I think the thing that really set them apart this year is their ability to, uh, move guys up front, uh, get run blocking. Um, they controlled the football. If you look at the time of possession that they almost doubled Oklahoma state, they did a pretty good job. Although the box score doesn't really show, uh, them defending Mason Rudolph really well. He threw for almost 400, but they did do a good job of getting to him, rushing some passes. Obviously you had two interceptions from your defensive linemen. So that's a pretty good stat, but I think the biggest change is they, they just really got ahead. I mean, they, they just came out and played early. They hadn't been doing that in the last three times they've been to Stillwater. They always seem to get behind. They were leading 14 to nine and, uh, 2013 or 12. I can't remember which year that was, but other than that, the last, the last few times they've been up there, they've just really just laid an egg in the first half. But this time around, Got the run game going. Kenny actually looked pretty good in the first half. And, and really, the, those first two drives, he had some really good throws. That throw to Emmanuel Porter on the back shoulder fade should have been a touchdown. Emmanuel has to pull those those type of catches in. But overall, just the way the offense was able to uh, go toe-to-toe with Oklahoma State and really set the tone early on is the reason why I think they won that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way. You know, it's hard to say – they did something I, I didn't expect. I mean, I really did expect it to be a close game. Yes, I predicted a loss, but I, I had it at 42-38, to 38, which that that's a heck of a game in itself. But, you know, what TCU did this time that they haven't done other times in Stillwater is, you know, they controlled the line of scrimmage. You know, they were able to run the ball consistently. They, they set the tone early, and they stuck with it. And, uh, you know, that's something they weren't really able to do uh, against Oklahoma State is really control the clock, control the line of scrimmage. Um I like how, you know, they were able to just rush three a lot of the times on Mason Rudolph, and, uh, you know, the secondary really held up. You know, you you hate to be short a guy, but, you know, I, I thought Gladney did well. I thought when James got in there, he did as, as well as you could be expected. He made a big play on Aitman uh, down the field. 
Um, it, it was a great game. It's a, it a tough environment to go into, but what TCU did by jumping on them early is they took that crowd right out of the game. So um, I guess what surprised me was the fact that they were able to jump out so early and, and, and kind of set the tone like they did in the first quarter. Yeah, all of that and so much more really does summarize the the victory the, the for the Frogs. They were able to really make things happen that they've never been able to make happen before in Stillwater, controlling the line of scrimmage, being able to, you know, obviously when James Washington caught that touchdown pass, you thought, well, this is going to be the first of many. But it was actually the first of, of the only one, the only time where they were able to stretch the field with him and for him to be able to take it to the house. The Frogs went to another level with this game. When you really set this game in context, Trey, think about the big victories that we've had since we joined the Big 12 in 2012. Is this the biggest win that we have since we joined the Big 12 in 2012? Yeah, so, you know, I've been thinking about this. I think a lot of TCU fans have been in, you know, the... You know, there's been some really fun ones. You know, the Tortilla Tip in Lubbock. There's been a couple good ones, you know, that have come down to field goals with West Virginia. Um, obviously, a lot of people bring up uh, 2014 Oklahoma in Fort Worth. Um, that one was awesome. That was, you know, a fun game, great game. Stadium was, you know, super electric that day. But I think when you look at it, this probably has to be, um, yeah, the biggest win in the Big 12 era for TCU. If you if you do look at that Oklahoma game from 2014, they kind of fell apart after that. I mean, yeah, they, I think they were ranked fourth at that time, so they were ranked a little bit higher. But Oklahoma just kind of had a little bit of an off year that year. So I do. I think this one um, is a is the biggest win. I mean, you look at. Oklahoma State, I was I don't know if, if y'all felt the same way, but I thought they had a legit chance of making the final four. I know their first three games weren't against world beaters, but they just looked very solid in those games. Um Rudolph, you know, very good quarterback and so yeah, I picked the Frogs to lose. They won. This was a huge win on the road. Um going into a hostile environment that, you know, we've always had problems playing in. And so yeah, I think this this has to be number one on the list right now. I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think about the the 2012 win in Austin in Thanksgiving. That was like a an emotional boost to be able to beat Texas and win on the road against against University of Texas. That's a big deal for us, especially then. Now it's kind of become an, an annual tradition. Daniel, do you where do you grade this? Do you agree with Trey? Is there another game that stands out to you? Where do you place this in context of all of our victories in the Big Twelve? I thought about it a lot um, when you sent out the outline for us to, you know, kind of gather our thoughts for the podcast. And the first thing that came to mind was, uh, like Trey said, the 2014 game um, against Oklahoma at Eamon Carter Stadium. That was, um, at the time, probably the biggest uh, game that TCU's played. But since since then uh, and up up till now, obviously, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, yeah, this was the biggest win because – uh, we hadn't won in Stillwater since, uh, what was it, 91, I think. And, um, of course, haven't won there since uh, joining the Big 12. And that's a tough place to play. And um, and that's a good team. So I, I was really pleasantly surprised at that game. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty much the biggest win. Uh, so forth. You know, I, it really ignited for me um, – 
some hatred for Oklahoma State. I know I'm on Twitter way too much when I should be working or watching my kids or all that kind of stuff. Oklahoma State fans, they thought they were going to blow us out. I mean, I, I kind of saved and then bumped some tweets after the game because Oklahoma State fans were very confident that this game would be over, that this game would be over at halftime. And I was like, you know, I hate these guys. I'm, I'm really glad that we're going to get a chance to settle this on the field. So it was good to be able to get that win and, and generate a little more uh, disrespect in that rivalry. It feels good like that there's some, some animosity between those two programs. Because honestly, other than the 2014 game where we blew them out and they were obviously having a rebuilding year, we hadn't done much at all in Stillwater. Speaking hey, of Jeff, Stillwater, it's funny you mentioned – Jeff, can you hear it, – it, it's it's uh, funny that you mentioned the no respect part because on the drive up there Saturday, I was tuning in to different radio stations talking about, you know, the, the upcoming games around the country. And um, some of those uh, stations up in Oklahoma, they were talking about the Oklahoma State TCU game. And I kid you not, I mean, most people were predicting a Oklahoma State win by – some of them three touchdowns, some of them four touchdowns. I heard 49, 21. I listened to one station. I don't even know what the name of the station was. I was, was listening to it because it was three old guys, and uh, they were talking about how it was pretty funny how they thought TCU was even going to show up to the game. That's how much they thought TCU was going to get beat by Oklahoma State. They No one up there in that region was giving TCU a chance at all to come in there and, and beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater. So it's even more uh, – you could see the the look on Gary's face because not a lot of people were thinking that he was going to win it on even even some of us. But just just the folks up there in Oklahoma, man, no one was giving TCU a chance to win that game. And you can just see how giddy he was on the sidelines toward the end of the game where he, you just – he was trying not to smile. If you watch it back on television, that guy was trying not to smile. And then in the postgame presser, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't slap the smile off of his face. I know he was real proud of his team. As he should be, as he should be, we were able to get a win in Stillwater. So let's just kind of tee this up. The, the the player that we have been talking about and evaluating this whole season, this last season, is of course Kenny Hill. I want to, you know, Jeremy, Daniel, you guys, I want to get your grade here on Kenny Hill. How do we assess his play this game? But I just want to get this out on the table before we start. Kenny Hill did something that Trevon Boykin failed to do in three attempts which is win in Stillwater. 12, 13, 15, Trevon Boykin took the L all three seasons. Kenny Hill goes to Stillwater and wins by two touchdowns. I am now all in on the Kenny Hill bandwagon. That's the best game he's played, in my opinion. Uh, Jeremy, Daniel, how would you guys grade him? And what's your assessment of Hill after this this Oklahoma State victory? Daniel, you want to go? Sure. Um, I'm going to go with the overall grade of, uh, of an A. Um, I, it's not only the, you know, the passing was was just fine. One interception was kind of, you know, but it could have been a lot worse. Um, but this overall game management, you know, pointing out where the blitzes are coming from and, you know, keeping, uh, people informed on that kind of things. And it was, uh, it, it just felt completely, you know, solid. He just didn't make very many mistakes. Uh, he got sacked a couple of times, but that's not always on him. Uh, I was, I was pleased, uh, against SMU. And I said, okay, I'm back on the Kenny Hill, uh, bandwagon, um, completely. Like I was kind of iffy, uh, no way. I'm, I'm totally on it. I'm, I'm driving the darn thing right at this point. It's, um, he's, he's, 
he's not perfect, but he's damn good, and I'm I'm just thrilled with it. And uh, I wasn't completely surprised, I guess. I mean, I'm, I don't know what it, it was. Such an emotional game uh, for me because I, I was expecting such. Uh, uh, such a beatdown. I mean, a respectable performance from everybody, but such a beatdown. So, uh, I just, I don't know. I'm really happy. Yay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't know so you were just Daniel. Yeah. That, you I mean, were Daniel th- really does sound excited. Yeah, you were thrilled, but were you trilled? <laughs> oh, snap. Oh, snap. Jeremy, I bet you got a dissertation here. Tell me, t- give me your grade on on Kenny. I, I'm, I'm with Daniel. I give Kenny an A too. Just just watching him at the game, he really looked like a senior veteran out there. I mean, he made a mistake with the interception. He didn't make a good throw on that, and they panned to him on the sideline. And, and I didn't catch this when I was watching the game uh, in real time, but when I saw watching the, the replay today, he was smiling, and, and it was kind of like what Gary's been talking about all this off season is he's learned to uh, overcome his mistakes and he went back out there and, and, and still continue to play a good game last year. Kenny Hill throws that interception and he comes back out there. He's still rattled and he makes more mistakes. So the fact that that was really his only mistake of the game, he did a good job uh, finding receivers on big third downs. I think he was, I think he was something crazy, like eight of 11 on third down conversions. And that's just remarkable. I mean, TCU's offense right now, I think they're leading the nation in third down conversions. And a big part of that is your, your success as a quarterback. And you can't argue what Kenny's doing on third downs. I mean, he's making plays. There was a couple throws when they had that crazy all out blitz look from the, uh, from the right side on a big third down. He, he stays in the pocket, stays calm. It was a weird defense, but he finds, he finds, uh, I think it was Sean Nixon on an out route and it was perfect. I mean, he threw a couple balls yesterday that were just right on the money. Uh, he made a good decision throwing that ball to Jalen Austin. Jalen Austin made a great catch and, and that was another big play of the game. Uh, I think he needs some help from his receivers catching those back shoulder fades because he had a couple of those that were, put into some pretty good spots that his receivers didn't catch. But, you know, that might be, you know, we talked earlier this year about SMU maybe being the, the best game, but he is continuing the trend of, of playing excellent football. I mean, I, I can't, I can't really fault anything uh, other than the interception. And if you go back and, and, and just watch the, the replay of the game, if, if that's the only thing you can find wrong with what he did, then, then he's doing something right. We're going to all criticize him from from time to time. I'm sure he's going to have some bad moments uh, down the road. I mean, no quarterback is perfect, but right now TCU's four and zero, and I would say he is probably the biggest reason they are. You know, I think that many of us looked at this bye week as the time that we would make a, a formal assessment about changes that needed to be made at quarterback, whether that was, do we need to get Sh- uh, Sean Robinson in every third series? Do we need to make a serious change at quarterback? Well, now we've got a, a quarterback that's led us to 4-0 with, with road wins at Arkansas, at Oklahoma State, and you could not expect any more out of Kenny Hill than what he's done, and he's led us to a great place. We're, we're number nine in the nation with Kenny Hill leading the way, and that is a great place for our program to be, and I'm grateful for what he's been able to accomplish for this program, and I'm happy for him. I'm glad he's having this moment. I, th- I think that's good for him. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball. Trey, We and you and I have lamented about the decline of the defense over the years. And here we are watching the fro- the to hold S- uh, to hold Oklahoma State to 31 points is it really is shutting them down. 
who was who a defensive MVP that you want to recognize? And maybe what were some of the things you saw on that side of the ball that had you excited as a fan? Yeah, well, okay, there's a lot to unpack here. I think one, um, I was really pleased with our secondary. You know, the they've taken a few beatings in the past against teams like this that can get you know get downfield with the deep ball and stuff and I thought the secondary played really well there was a lot of times they showed on TV and watching you know the game back a little bit like they were on the Oklahoma State receivers all day you know and even on the on the long touchdown to Washington the Frogs had decent coverage it was just a great throw um, and a great catch those two dudes are just amazing you know at at uh, linking up on the deep ball, but um, it's kind of hard for me to pick one defensive MVP. If I had to pick one, um, I guess I go with Nick Orr just because he had six tackles and that uh, interception on the stupid double pass play that they ran. Um, so go with him. that was a terrible call. <laughs> Worse, yeah, stupid. We can get into that later if you want, but that was so dumb. Um, so go with him. I think Howard had a great game. Um, led the team with tackles. One. Oh, uh, also don't want to forget about uh, Bozen. I thought he did really well coming in the second half. He was fresh, uh, got a sack. Um, noticed him, you know, getting some pressure a couple times. So that was good to see. But um, my favorite defensive play um, of the day, though, goes to uh, Ben. Is it Bonogu? Benogu. His play where he got that strip sack coming from behind is just really fun to watch you know he kind of gets gets pressure then gets blocked then you know continues to hustle and gets gets in there behind Rudolph so uh that was definitely my favorite play as far as the defense goes yeah Ben make I just call him Ben but man when he got that pressure and then and then basically had to restart on the pass rush you just kind of saw it coming from behind and he was he had you know the 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 sight to be able to knock that ball loose and um they picked it up and tried to run with it just put the ball down get the ball and go and go down so we can get the offense back on the field Jeremiah who did you see on defense and what are some of the other things that you want to highlight that we got right on that side of the ball you know, I, I thought about this after you, you know, sent us this earlier today, and it was really hard for me to pick out a single guy. I and mean, if you look at the stat sheet, there's no one guy that really jumps off the stat sheet. And what's impressive about that to me is um, they didn't need one guy to carry him. They played solid team defense. The, the, the secondary looked really sharp. Um, I mean, Rudolph had some time to throw on a lot of his passes, but there was nobody open a lot of the time. Um, and the longer he stood there, I mean, he's not a mobile guy. So, you know, TC was able to get to him. My my MVP, if I had to pick one, and the stats don't really show it, but it's Ben Ben Banigou, and the reason why is even when he wasn't getting to the quarterback, he was making you know Rudolph step up in the pocket and just kind of get happy feet. He wasn't able to just stand back there and just pick people apart. And uh, they were doing that a lot of times with just a three man rush. And so if you're able to do that, you know that's that frees up an extra man in the middle of the field and and gives your secondary extra time to cover. So I mean, I don't know. I was really impressed with the team defense. And if you, if you just listen to the guys, all the guys, you know, the team after the game, that's what they were pretty much saying to a man was it was a team effort. And they really – it took a team effort to stop that offense. That's all we heard coming in this, this game this week was this is the best offense in the country. They're going to mow through the Big 12 Conference. Nobody's going to touch them. Well, the TCU defense has been playing solid all year, and people weren't really giving them their due. So I think after this game, 
you've got to say that they are a legit defense this year. And even Patterson talked about it after the game, having a lot of seniors in his secondary helps him with it being able to interchange the parts and, and move guys around and he can do a lot more things. And he trusts those guys. So it was just a great team effort and that's what it was going to take to win a game like that in Stillwater. One thing you know, about Banigou, it, it just it speaks for itself, is that he was double teamed most of the time. Yeah. You know, he had two people blocking him. Uh, that's how much of a threat he is. So I think that, that really speaks, you know, a lot to that. That was the, you know, the defensive line had so many guys rotating in and out. And that's just, just goes to show how deep the defensive line is because they were constantly, I think Jeremiah said it earlier, they were constantly rushing just three guys. And so a lot of those guys were getting whooped up on. I mean, they were getting double teamed by the guards. Um, I saw Joe, uh, Joe Broadnax getting blocked by two or three guys at one point. But, yeah, the defensive line, man, they were, so, they were so deep. And that's that's another big reason why this team's 4-0 right now. You know, I think about defensive standouts nationally in the last, you know, five, seven years. And, of course, you know, Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett, and those those are elite athletes. They they did amazing things at their position, but this is this is a this is a great defense. And you know we don't have a Miles Garrett, we don't have a Jadavian Clowney, but we have a unit that, as Patterson would say, they're they're learning to hunt together. And I was so impressed with what the defense was able to do as a unit. You know, if they were rushing three, their coverage was so strong they were able to eventually get some pressure because those guys were just locking down. And it it was a team effort all around. And I love seeing this defense come together that the way that it has. And that that's something that we're going to have to ride the rest of the season in a lot of ways. I'll say something real quick, Jeff. When I went down to the field with about five minutes left, I know the TV guys said, I think Jeremiah told me earlier, they said it was like 140 down there or something like that. Yes, that's what they I said mean, the heat index was. Yeah, I'll guarantee you it was about 120. I mean, no exaggeration. I mean, it was so hot that the way that stadium's built goes east and west and the sun comes in from the west and it was just brutal. I mean, just brutal, but... In the post game, the the one thing that kind of stood out to me, what Coach Patterson was talking about this team is how they're different. Is because they just they want to be different. They look at last year and and they're thinking that you know that was that was not indicative of what TCU football is. And when we were talking about the heat, he was mentioning in the summer where the guys would go out in the heat of the day and do their workouts and, and run. And, and when fall camp began, when it was in the, the high nineties uh, and the hundreds that he gave them an opportunity to go inside and practice in the indoor. And they told him, no coach, we want to stay outside. We want to stay outside and practice. So when you have that kind of leadership and, 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 and the know-how of what it takes to be good, you got, you got to think this team has something special about them. Now I know it's only four and zero right now, but we're going to talk about it later as the team moves forward, what kind of expectations they have upon them now. But that, that was just pretty cool for him to say that in the post game and, and give you a little bit behind the scenes of why they're able to, if you looked at them on the sidelines, they're just smiling and laughing and having a good time. Uh, they don't even look tired. And I'm telling you right now that that field was the hottest field I've ever been on uh, in my life as a player, as a spectator, as a, as a fan, just anything. I've never been as hot as I was. And I was only down there for 10 minutes. It was brutal. And I think that was another key of not only the offensive game plan of, you know, running it and limiting Oklahoma state on, um, on offense, you know, winning that time of possession battle. But, you know, I think a lot of people don't, 
realize or kind of forget or you know if you don't watch a lot of Oklahoma State or Big 12 like Oklahoma State's defense really hadn't played a full game up until that point and so I think from them you know not having to play a full game and then here comes TCU it's hot they're running the ball at us they're moving the ball uh you know our defense is on the field you know for long periods of time I think that really you know played a factor into it also Yeah, I absolutely absolutely agree with that because you think about you know the Arkansas game we we won by three touchdowns but we all know that wasn't decided that was a game that was a tight game until the last snap and then SMU was was one of those blessings in disguise where it was a one score game in the fourth quarter and we ended up you know expanding that lead but we had to be focused and locked in all four quarters to win that game and we go to Oklahoma and they've been sitting in the you know their starters have been pulled out in the middle of the third quarter well they weren't ready for the dogfight and we were and I think that was one of the advantages of the way the schedule shook out. And we, we were the ones ready to play four quarters, and they weren't. I think that's a, that's a great insight, man. Well, one of, the, one of the real sports cliches that I'm sure we've all heard at one point in our, in our lives is the, st- the backup is even better than the starter. I know um, the Solid Verbal podcast, I don't know if any of you guys listen to that, they use that as kind of a joke and a cliche. But we have to ans- ask a real question here, and it's going to sound a little awkward because I know we're all big Kyle Hicks fans. But is the backup better than the starter? Darius Anderson, 160 yards, Walter Camp, player of the offensive player of the week. He put that team on his back following an amazing offensive line, which we can't get enough credit to. We hopefully Kyle Hicks is back. He's going to have this bye week to heal. I know, you know, releasing medical information is not in in the in the cards. But my goodness, how do you not give the ball to Darius Anderson? going forward i don't have an outline i just want to hear from all of you guys what are your thoughts on hicks anderson and the way that the balance of the offense and their carries needs to be established and 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 fiddled with moving forward i mean i'll start if you want me to so i like to preface it with i mean i'm a big kyle hicks fan one he went to my high school, obviously way after me, because I'm an old dude now. But so he represents my high school. <laughs> one, two. Um, I, I just think he's a really well-rounded back. I think he's, you know, obviously can run it well. I think he's good at uh, receiving out of the backfield, picking up blocks, things like that. So I'm a, I'm a big Kyle Hicks fan, but I think it's hard to deny Anderson's a beast. Uh, you know, I've seen some internet chatter about is he the best running back at TCU since LT? Um, you know, there's been some pretty good ones in between, so I don't know, you know, how you want to rank them, and I'm not here to do that. But I do think, you know, if if he's, if he's not made the starter, then he at least needs to get the bulk of the carries going forward. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like, like Trey there. It's hard, I mean – you're talking about a guy that was a thousand yard rusher last year, led the team in receiving. He's he's an, an amazing offensive weapon in his own right. But it's just a different animal with Darius Anderson in there. Um he takes the fight to the defenders and by the I mean he's two hundred and ten pounds, but by the end of the game, those guys don't want any more of him. Um where and this is not a knock on, on Hicks. I even noticed the last game Hicks was kind of trying to get north and south a little bit more, where Hicks will tend to kind of dance around the hole. Sometimes Darius doesn't care if there's one there. He's going to make one. He'll run through somebody. And it may only be three-yard carry, but that next time he runs in that hole, that defender's a little less inclined to jump in there and meet him head up. I mean, he's not scared of contact. And it's just it's a, 
that is a tough question. Is he the best since LT? I mean, there's been, like you said, there's been some really good running backs at TCU, and the guy's just a sophomore. But you got, you're right. He's got to get ten minimum ten carries a game, even if Hicks is getting the start. I'm, I'd like to see him get twelve to fifteen every single game, no matter what. Um, Hicks has had a hard time staying healthy sometimes, so Anderson can definitely spell him. I knew going in he was probably going to get at least 20 carries. 26 carries, and that's carrying the load in that kind of heat, and he never blinked. I mean, he's he's a machine. Oh, so no, never blinked. That's that's what you want in, in an every-down back, and, I mean, he's he's this guy could be starting for just about anybody in the country right now. So I think he's still one of the best-kept secrets in the country, but that's not going to be that way for much longer. One of the things I want to re- uh, that, that's on my mind whenever I think about Darius Anderson is I go back to that uh, – I guess it would have been the 2015 recruit or the 2016 recruiting class where we had Travian Williams that ended up going to A&M as a commit that decommitted and went to A&M. And we were chasing after Kyle Porter, who eventually committed to Texas, who played at Katy and everybody, talk, everybody talked about what a bruiser he was. I know Williams has done some good things at A&M and I think he's a good guy and he's a great running back. Kyle Porter is... They cannot stand him in their offense down there right now in terms of Texas fans. I wouldn't trade anybody. I wouldn't trade Darius Anderson for anybody out of that 2016 recruiting class. He is a hoss. And, uh, you know, it's not the guys you miss on. It's the guys you get. Well, we got a winner in him out of George Ranch. I cannot tell you how excited I am of what he's been able to do. And I agree with both you guys. I mean, he... He's the best running back that we have right now. We got to find a way to utilize both of them, you know, play to both of their strengths. But give give Darius Anderson the ball on third and four and watch him do some damage running through that hole. Daniel, uh, Jeremy, you got any thoughts on on what we do with with uh, Darius and in a healthy Kyle Hicks moving forward? I think Shaywo might be a little nervous because the the better Darius gets, and the fact when Kyle comes back. Uh, and, and he's healthy, then you're going to see Shaywo's carries go down a little bit. I mean, he's still going to be uh, a goal line guy because I think what's funny is we're finally seeing. Have you guys noticed that we're that TCU has given the ball to a to a uh, 225 pound running back at the goal line now, whereas a couple years ago we have Travoris Johnson and that never happened. So yeah, it, it's it's just funny to kind of see the the difference in the in the play calling and the mentality of actually using your big back to try to get you some tough yards. But it's a tough question, Jeff. Uh, you know, Kyle deserves to to be out there. We can't if he was playing bad, then then yeah. But he had 84 yards against SMU, um, and and he probably could have had more. I mean, he he was d- playing a really good game against SMU before he got hurt. And and sometimes you don't know what you got until you're missing something else. And we all knew Darius was pretty good last year when he when he went off against Texas, and everyone was thinking, okay, well this is the this is the guy that everyone's talking about that's going to be the next big thing at TCU because he's got good size, he's got good speed, and now everyone's seeing that this year. But I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence. I think uh, obviously he deserves a lot more carries. I mean, I don't think we're going to see a game uh, in the future where Kyle's going to have 20 carries and Darius is going to have eight carries. I think it's going to be kind of split in between um, as much as it, it's not fair to Kyle to uh, lose his carries because he's been hurt. It's not fair to Darius to lose carries either because he's, he's done such a great job coming in for Kyle, but uh, Kyle's a senior. He's, he's uh, got him. Uh, some some pretty good yards over the years, fifteen hundred all purpose yards last year, and it's the best problem in college football when you have two guys, uh, especially at running back of all positions. You got two guys of that quality, and then you add in a third back in Shaywo. And Coach Looper said earlier this year that 
he had the best the best running back core in the Big Twelve, and I believe him. I mean, there is no better uh, running back core in the Big Twelve. It's hands down TCU by a long shot. He uh, Anderson's a sophomore, right? Yeah. Is he here in 2019? It's a good question. Well, if he runs no, for 1,800 yards next year, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, kidding, man. You're running back and you got – go. yeah, he could – Yeah, if, you, if you're running back and can go make some money, go do it, man. Your body can't do that forever. So that would be a great problem to have. That would be a the great that, problem to have. The thing that Jeremiah uh, mentioned earlier is, is something we talked about in the press box before too. He does such a great – Anderson just does a great job of not dancing around. He just – he hits the hole so fast. And that's what even Joseph Noteboom said last week about the running backs. They do a pretty good job. But I know he was pretty much referring to Darius how sometimes uh, their openings are only for two yards, but somehow or another those guys get four yards. And Darius is a prime example of a guy that – you may have a may have an opening that will get you one or two yards, but somehow or another, that guy's still running downfield four or five yards later, and that's that's pretty special for him. And he did a great job. Uh, Trey mentioned this too. Darius did a great job of catching the football the other uh, yesterday against Oklahoma State, and that's something that uh, makes Kyle so versatile in the offense because he can run the ball, catch the ball, line him up out in slot. We're just we're just beginning to see the the beginning of what Darius Anderson is going to be able to do at TCU. Well, shifting gears here, I want to look at a couple of turning points in this game. And there's two things I really want to highlight that I thought were, you know, consequential to the, to the frogs getting a victory. And then you guys can get some feedback as well. Number one, we erased the first quarter. Now I know it was frustrating that we had to two, kick two field goals. It was nice that we made them, but it was seven, six at the end of the first quarter, but we controlled so much of that first quarter and we basically took it off the board and was a, and were able to begin that process of grinding down the Oklahoma state defense. They were on the field so much, even though they did get that touchdown, it was on a, you know, 80 some yard play. So they immediately had to put their defense back out there again, Part of the Big 12, part of winning in the Big 12 is learning how to make the most of the moments that you have and control the ball so that you just can begin to eliminate opportunities for these high-octane offenses. What we were able to do in that first quarter to control the ball, keep Mason Rudolph off the field, and grind down their defense, that was that was a thing of beauty just as in terms of looking at it as a tactician. And I, and I love that. I think we all have that anxiety at the end of the game that if we had to go another five minutes, we might have lost it. That if we had gone another ten minutes, we might have lost it because Oklahoma State was starting to rev up and maybe we were starting to get tired on defense. But what we did in the first quarter is why we were able to run out the clock and win that game in the fourth quarter. So I want to give kudos to the game plan in terms of being able to really sit on that ball in the first quarter and begin the process of beating down the, the Oklahoma State defense in that 140-degree uh, heat index down there on the field. Second thing, you've already mentioned it, Jeremy, but our, our, our conversions on third down, TCU converted 11 of 19 third down attempts. I never got anxious when it was third down and being able to move the chains and find some trusted targets, whether it's running the ball or finding, like you said, Jalen Austin on that huge play where he got, he, he, he picked up 20 yards after first contact on that, on that catch. That was a thing of beauty. I loved seeing the frogs convert on third down when you can, when you, when a defense, you know, puts you in the third and long in the Big 12 
and then they, they give it up. That just is so demoralizing because you know that it begins to move things and the offense begins to click a little more. You know, Kenny Hill being able to convert for the offense at 11 and 19 is something that we should be proud of. So those are the two things that I really jotted down on my phone during the game is moments that we were able to make something significant happen. And those were the two big turning points for me. What about the rest of y'all? Trey, what were some of the things that you saw of as, as like turning points in this game that were able to clinch the well, victory I think, for the um, One, I agree with your two points. Um, and to add on top of that, I think the penalties. For TCU to only have four penalties for 23 yards, whereas uh, Oklahoma State had eight for 77. And it's not a ton of penalty yardage, but it felt like they kept having penalties at really bad times. Like not only was TCU converting on third down, but in, if they weren't, then Oklahoma state was getting a penalty or they had, you know, illegal defensive substitution or whatever that, you know, the, different penalties they had I thought um that was really key because that kept their defense on longer um obviously you know Oklahoma State turns the ball over four times it's going to be hard to win any game with that many turnovers so it was nice to see the TCU defense you know two picks from the D-line and um you know fumble and other interception or whatever it was so that was awesome um so yeah I think you know um Outside of that, I thought, too, you know, a lot of the articles coming out today were about Oklahoma State coaches and Gundy saying, you know, they got outcoached and all that. And so I think, you know, what I mentioned earlier, that double pass, that was they had momentum. They were moving down the field on the Frogs. I don't know why they called that play. I guess they, you know, were hoping to catch TCU off guard, but that was stupid. And then later, I think it was the final time TCU got the ball, they kicked it deep to Turpin, who took it back to midfield. Like, what are y'all doing? Like, those were two of the biggest bonehead plays of the game, and y'all did it in clutch time. Like, what are y'all doing right now? (laughs) I'm a man! I'm 40! Yeah, that was like back-to-back. I mean, that was just like in tandem there when they had the chance to really take that game away, and we we had opened up the window, and they're like, let's kick the ball to Turpin. Let's just see what he does here, and and then let's throw a double pass. The coolest thing on that double pass is when you saw Orr come off the field. It's Jamie Dixon that's patting him on the back right there with the sideline pass that was so excited to see him. That was that was pretty cool to see his energy. I would add one more boneheaded thing from uh, Oklahoma State. Sorry, I jumped in front of you there, Trey. One more boneheaded thing is when they when they stopped the, the ball got snapped to Hill, they called timeout and everybody started to walk him. And then that Oklahoma State defensive lineman yeah. just goes and pops him right in front terrible. of the official. Fifteen <laughs> yards. Oh, the crowd was going nuts, guys. I mean And of course the crowd I'm telling you booze. right now, I <laughs> I love Oklahoma State fans. They're they're really genuinely nice people. I've been to that stadium four times ever since TCU got in the Big Twelve. But man, they were moaning and groaning. Like they really thought that it shouldn't have been a penalty when Kenny got hit late like that. And I mean, it was just it was crazy. I mean they 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 were thinking the refs were against them most of the game. They were they were booing. Um, if TCU made a good play, they would go back to booing the refs because they thought it was the result of the refs not making a call right. I mean, it was pretty bad. Speaking of refs, I want to ask you, Jeremy, maybe you got There's this in no the press way. box. Explain There's no way the, I, penalty, okay, so the penalty on the punt. We were all trying to figure that out in the press box because it, it was kind of a – it was a weird play. Um I mean, we we're watching it, and obviously you see a flag right away, and then you see 
DRs try to field the ball. Then you see Ennis try to field the ball. He he muffs it. And then for whatever reason, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Oklahoma State, I, I can't remember who the player was. He comes out of nowhere and tries to jump on it. And then, of course, they, uh, they uh, you know, fumble. Well, they were trying to say that maybe someone had illegally touched that ball and it wasn't TCU's ball where they recovered it. So I guess initially they said it was illegally touched and the ball needs to be put back. And they basically at the end, it's, it's, it's so confusing, guys. I can't even explain it because none of us could. Um, if you go look at the ESPN play-by-play, I mean, it's as simple as the explanation as you could get. It's like the play didn't even ha- – it's like the punt didn't even happen. All they did was enforce the uh, the holding penalty on the defense, and they made it a first down. The whole, but, man, it was – Okay. Yeah, and then the next play, you, you have the, uh, Illy- the review to see if Kenny Hill's pass hit the sky cam wire. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hit the wire. That was no, that was just an ugly pass. That whole like five oh. minute span right oh, there gosh. was a cluster, man. I was like, what is if going you didn't hear it on TV, right I now. mean the stadium was about to crumble from all the booze. I mean, it was it was bad at that point. I mean, they were just like, Are you kidding me? We're we're review, reviewing a play to see if it hit the sky cam wire. I mean, come on. And every TCU fan yeah, on their breath just, is like, that's just no, Kenny that's pass. just that's just Kenny. We love him, but that's just Kenny. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a high school official, and I, you know, they're not the same rules high school and college. But I swear, like my brain hurt trying to understand what these Big Twelve officials were trying to enforce, because the best I could come up with is, tell me if this is right. Garrett yeah, Wallow went out of bounds so. and he eventually recovered the punt. Is that what they ruled? But uh, okay. but the problem is okay. they called the holding penalty, which pretty right. much negates right. everything after that, right? Because that's why they, they brought they it all the way back, what, to yeah. the 30 or something? Yeah, yeah they, marked it, the they marked it 10 yards yeah. from okay. the previous spot, and that's why they had it on the okay. 30. But, yeah, that was the whole thing. If you looked at the ref, you noticed his hat wasn't on because he was marking uh, Wallow going out of bounds. And then, then he came back in, and he was the one that Illegal recovered. But yeah. it was it was a confusing mess for about you know between that play and the play right after for about you know six minutes. You're just kind of like, man, this is this is nuts right now. But it's kind of funny too. It's, it's kind of comical sitting up in the press box. Just everyone's just freaking out over it and laughing, and everyone's laughing at the fans just booing the refs. It was it was pretty hostile for the refs there for a little bit. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, might as well just have Benny Hill running the whole thing. So correct me if I'm Mark wrong. B. If, is that not – now, Walla wasn't the first one to touch it. Uh, I think NS Games was. So I thought the rule was you just can't be the first one to touch it when you, you come out of bounds. If you go out of bounds, bounds I think you you're pretty much illegal participation. I, I don't know, man. It's just – it's. Since he's the one that actually recovered it, I, I think so. Diars and Ennis just touched it. They tried to recover. I mean, Diars didn't try to recover. He just tried to stop it. And Ennis actually tried to. He had a pretty decent attempt at trying to. <laughs> the ball just was not going to go in his lap, but um, and then Garrett ended up recovering it. But it was just a crazy, crazy uh, set of uh, plays there in the was the first quarter. All right, this this is my 
this is my layman's attempt to explain that in 10 seconds that I that is 90% right, and I'm sure I'm wrong in the 10%. The touch by Ennis and by Diars are not deemed as possession. And they're they're kind of a muff is disregarded. I mean, you can change possession with it if you're Oklahoma State, but Garrett would be the first person to possess the ball after he went out of bounds. Not the first person to touch it, but the first person to possess it, and he would not be allowed to do that. It's like when Emmanuel Porter got called back that touchdown last year against Arkansas. He went out of bounds, and he was the first person to possess the ball after he came back in. So Diars possessed it. No, if the guy from Oklahoma State would have possessed it, run 10 yards, and dropped it, Garrett could have picked it up, but he can't be the first person to possess it. And Man, none of that matters because the extent of, the of my rule now. Anyway, none of that matters because of the hole. Yeah, and mark me shocked that big that this happened on a Big Twelve game. You know that the Big Twelve like like name Reggie Smith or something. He, I, I, he I don't sucks. know. I'm, I, I just like it when we have the guy that the the referee that does CrossFit, the dude with the big guns. I you want know him. Mike Jeff, I think you guys all have things. this this code that you do. You go to the gym and all you do is curls all day. And then you tell the uniform makers you want the extra tight around your around your biceps, like all these college and NFL refs are doing now. I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to see some pictures of you on Facebook using that using that uh, same tight shirt. Biceps are going to be poking out. I'm waiting for it, dude. My my ref shirts um, show off my arm clean my my pipe cleaner biceps and my core's light belly. So no, that's not going to be the case. <laughs> that's not going to be the case. I will be unfollowed on Facebook if that's the case. <laughs> uh, anything else in terms of accomplishment in this game, turning points in this game that we want to highlight before we start to turn our direction towards um, expectations moving forward. Anything else from Heck Oklahoma yeah. State we want to celebrate, goals. acknowledge? How about Jonathan Song? And he was money you know, on every one of them. I, no looks, nerves I think the, all looked like Every one of them. <laughs> I wish the, you could have played the last year. Turning point in the game for me was was kind of two of them. <laughs> uh, when Oklahoma State had had that long drive, uh, they scored. It was twenty seven ten TCU. Oklahoma State came back and scored. It was twenty seven seventeen. They had a a nice play. Uh, Rudolph avoided a rush. I think you know Boston almost sacked him. Then he throws a dart to. Dylan Stoner for a touchdown and, and man, the stadium just erupted at that point. You thought, okay, well, Oklahoma state's going to get some momentum back in this game. And then TCU gets the ball back and they're in a tough, they're in a tough situation where they've got, I think a third and six. And I think they're at their own 40 or something like that. And Kenny, this is one of the plays I talked about earlier. He, he's looking left, looks right and sees Jalen Austin. Jalen Austin makes a great catch and, they continued the drive. It ended up being a 43-yard catch, and they ended up scoring a few plays later uh, to to make it 34-17. But that was one of those moments where here comes TCU, 27-10. We've got the ball game. Oklahoma State gets a great score, gets some momentum back. You think the fans are the fans are electric? They're they're hyped up. Their team's going to come back. They've got this great offense, and then here comes TCU's offense again. And oh. Wait, we're we're back on the field now, guys. We're going to go down and score on you guys again, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it again. And 34-17 was the score after that. And then they make Oklahoma State punt again, and then they go up for another score, go up by 20, and that's that's the difference in the game. Is uh, the the offense had a lot of moments in this game where you can you can point to certain turn, turning points, but I think that uh, 
that drive, that particular drive right there, third and six, Kenny hits Jalen for that big gain, and the stadium deflated after that play. It was it was obvious from that point on that their defense couldn't stop TCU, and TCU went on to score pretty much at will on them. The other thing we have to mention, I've never seen so many people with a GED angry as when they ruled that Shewo was in for the touchdown. That was awesome. (laughs) That was, was, he was in, you know why he was in? Because the officials ruled him in and that's all that matters. (laughs) That was great. Steve Levy, his name is Shewo The guy in the press box was calling him Honolulu. Right. (laughs) I I mean, we're all laughing. Yo, Shaywo, uh, Honolulu on the carry Honolulu. for about six yards. <laughs> oh, you should have heard the announcer in the press box after the after the uh, the punt call. He goes, "Well, it's going to be TCU ball at the thirty after all that mess." <laughs> oh, he was awesome. He was awesome. I loved him. That's a pro right there. That's that's right, man. The water's fine. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, real quick, let's do a quick here. Here, I want to hear from all five, all all four of you. All expectations going forward. We're four and zero. We're one and zero in the Big Twelve. We got a bye week, and then we got West Virginia, Kansas State. The, the, the it sets up pretty well moving forward. Looking at these next two games, how do we recalibrate our expectations for twenty seventeen? And how do we do this without thinking, well, you know, we're a playoff team right away because we beat Arkansas and Oklahoma State. How do we measure? How do we look forward in an optimistic but measured way? And what are your thoughts for expectations moving forward the rest of the season? Let's start with you, Daniel. I didn't even hear the question. Oh, that's fair enough. Most people don't listen to me when I talk on Sundays. I get that. Uh, thinking about expectations for 2017, how, how do you? How do we? How do we moving forward? What are your expectations for this year? Uh, I don't see why we can't win the whole thing. Um, based on that performance, we get a nice bye week coming up. And then uh, West Virginia, who uh, looks okay, uh, came out today, ranked 23, I think. Um, and then uh, Oklahoma did not impress me that much against Baylor. Um, so I don't, I, don't, I don't see any reason why, uh, you know, why not TCU, huh? Why not, man? That's what I say. Why not? I mean, we look good enough. Trey, what are your expectations? Uh, yeah, what are yeah, your expectations, so, Trey, moving forward? Obviously, kind of a lot higher expectations now that they did get that win. Um, you know, I'm not ready to say we're going to make the, the final four, but I do think now how it stands, like they're on the fast track to at least making the Big 12 championship game. Um, you know, I said it a couple weeks ago. I, I think West Virginia is going to be – a tough match to get them at home, which is good. Um, I, I've haven't been that impressed with K state. I know, you know, they're, they're going to be ready for the game and all that, but I just think, I think TCU can take care of them. Um, obviously, you know, if y'all watch some of that Baylor, Oklahoma game, uh, Baylor looked a little bit better than they had and Oklahoma looked, you know, beatable. Um, so I think, you know, I'm, I want to say I expect them to at least be in the Big 12 title game. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, my bad. When I said win the whole thing, I, I thought we were having 12. a major league um, moment. As far as the playoff, we'll see. When, oh, okay. When, 
Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to win the whole <laughs> As long as Jeremiah doesn't have to be the bikini that we t- or that we the the model that Please, we take the little no. pieces off of. Nobody yeah, wants no. to do that. Jer- no, no, we don't. Jeremiah, what are your expectations moving you know, forward? I really wanted to see what they would do in, in Stillwater. They showed me something that I was looking for. Um, I think they are the most complete team in the Big 12 when you talk offense and defense. I think that Patterson and Cumbie and that whole offensive staff, the whole team, and they found the recipe, what I think it's going to take to win the Big 12, the way they're running the ball. Um, you know, I picked them 10-2 and two to start the season. I didn't see them getting past the Oklahoma teams. But after four weeks right now, I like them to be in the Big 12 title game. Just from what I've seen so far, obviously that can change. But I think they're an experienced team. I don't think they're going to slip up. I don't think Patterson's going to let them slip up. They seem they, like they really are locked into that one week at a time mentality. There's too much leadership on this team, something that was sorely lacking last year. Um, they just they men, Mentally, they are a different team this year. And, and from what I've seen so far, they are the most complete team in the Big 12. So I like him in the Big 12 title game. <laughs> uh, I love the win. The win is Jeremy, over a team that a lot of people expected to go to the Big 12 championship and some expected to win the Big 12. Um, it's I don't want to put them uh, necessarily in the Big 12 championship just yet. I think they can definitely get there. Um, but there's still some pretty tough road games. I mean, this – this conference, week in and week out, you never know what's what you're really going to get. I mean, no one expected Oklahoma to go down to Baylor and win by eight. No one expected that. Everyone expected it was fourteen to nothing with eight, or, you know, seven minutes off the clock, and then Baylor comes back and shows that they do ha- still have a pulse in their football team. And and uh, you know, no one expected Kansas State to go over there and, and uh, put seven points against Vanderbilt. I mean, in Texas Tech, look what they're doing so far. I mean, they're uh, they're respectable. The, the 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 road game still concern me. Kansas State's tough to play at home. Iowa State's an improved team. They're going to be tough at home. And uh, of course, you got Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Uh, I'm with Jeremiah. I do think they're showing the most. Uh, they're the most complete team in the Big Twelve right now. Uh, they're battle tested. They've shown that they could stop a good running attack. They they sh- completely shut down. Arkansas and Arkansas scored how many points against A&M yesterday? 40 something. I didn't see the final score, but I know it was high. And yeah, and, and they play Oklahoma state, which was, was the, the nation's number one offense in the country coming into yeah, the game, uh, averaging 54 points a game. And TCU had them at 17 at the, by the end of the, of, of the uh, third quarter. So, you know, they've been battle tested against teams that run strong and teams that throw strong and, and really against some, some pretty good athletes. I'm still nervous about a quarterback that can run for some reason against four, two, five quarterbacks that can run always present problems for them. And TCU really hasn't seen that this year in the four games they've played. They haven't faced a running quarterback. So I'm kind of waiting to see how they do against Kansas state and how they do against uh, Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield. Now, if they, if they show that they can sl- slow down Jesse Ertz pretty good, that's going to make my confidence level go up even higher for them to go and beat Oklahoma. Uh, I do think they could win every game that's remaining on their schedule. I mean, they've, they've been battle tested on the road and uh, you know, this, this could be a very special year for them. It, it, we've been talking about it for a long time, especially, you know, myself and Jeremiah, the, the way the buzz 
was around the program before the year started, the way Coach Patterson kind of knew something that others didn't know just yet reminded us so much of the year, how it was before the 2014 season when no one was expecting them to do anything. And so it's kind of got that same buzz about it, guys. It, it really does. Um, I don't want to put my stamp on a Big 12 championship game appearance yet, but I do have very high confidence that they can make it there. I'm going to have that confidence in two weeks if we beat West Virginia. You know, West Virginia is just, you know, a couple of Red Bulls from Dana away from being be, having beaten Virginia Tech opening weekend and being undefeated themselves. So if we beat West Virginia and, and Will, Will Greer, the, the, the poster boy of white trash in West Virginia, if we can win that game, I feel like then we're in a spot where we can say – even if we drop a game, we still are in a great shot to get to the Big 12 title game. I want to beat West Virginia before I really just let my expectations explode. And if we beat West Virginia, I'm going to be intolerable because I just I think that we will be able to to run the table and put ourselves in a position to win some of these ga- uh, tough road games on the road. And as you said, you know, we still got to go to K State. We still got to go to Tech, who's three and zero. You know, good for Tech. They're three and zero, but there's places to go. And if we can beat. West Virginia, I think it's going to set the season up. It's going to set us up well for the rest of the season because it shakes out well. West Virginia, K-State, and then you got the Iowa uh, State-Kansas combo, and then you got the Texas-Oklahoma combo, and then you end with Tech, and of course we end the season with with Tech and then Baylor at home. So it does play out pretty well. We've we've set up the schedule pretty well aside from getting Texas and Oklahoma back-to-back. So we'll see how it goes after this bye week. I'm glad the Frogs are going to get a chance to rest, but big game at home coming up in two weeks against West Virginia, maybe college okay. game day, probably two top we'll twenty-five see. game teams. day. That, that's they're, a good chance. I think that's you know, the only they're, top they're going to have to play with a different the mentality now, guys. Because it is before yeah. the season started, no one was really respecting them. I, I mean, they they were right on the cusp of the top twenty-five, but they were underdogs, and it, not a lot of people thought they would go up to Arkansas and win the way they did, and certainly not a lot of people thought they'd go up to Oklahoma State a lot. Uh, not a lot of people thought they were going to go up there and win the way they did in that game. Now people uh, are expecting them to win. They're no longer the underdogs. They're, no one's looking past them. They're the, they're the number nine team in the country now. And so now you've got to get that. You, you, you had that chip on your shoulder at the beginning of the season. Now they've got to learn how to play when everyone's expecting them to do big things. And they've got that pressure now of people expecting them to do big things. And sometimes for some teams, not saying this team, but sometimes – uh, for other teams, they can't live up to those expectations. That's when you start making mistakes. But um, this team has a different different feel about it overall. I mean, those those guys are battle-tested, senior leadership, and think they can handle it. I just looked. Uh, they've already announced game day for in two weeks. They are going to be in Sounds London right. set up in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> I mean, but wait, in, know, in London, how many bars do they have for all these, day, uh, these teams Definitely. to go have these watching parties? I mean, they, they've oh, got to show the, us like on the map like they did Times Square, all these great uh, watching parties across all these bars across Manhattan. I mean, did, they even showed the TCU one. I didn't know about the TCU one. Oh, yeah. Did y'all notice that? 
Did y'all notice that though? T- ESPN took such a, a hammering over that decision to, to do that there on just social media. It was just blasting them. They that yeah, whole game day felt like they were trying to prove why it was a good idea to have it there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a terrible idea. It's horrible. It's horrible. Game day is designed for 19-year-olds to drink all night, sleep on the campus, you know, quad, and then make really dumb signs that get um, grabbed by the game day security and scream for three hours. That's what game day is for. It is it is to showcase campuses and college students and how much fun it is to be a big uh, to be a college football fan. And instead, we get. Times Square, where you got the naked cowboy and people handing out, you know, handbills about where to find a prostitute. Nobody cares about college football in New York. Did y'all notice? Did y'all notice the uh, the Florida Ram mascot? Virginia. That was on. That was on. Okay, that had to be the biggest mas biggest person in the mascot. No, costume I've ever seen. That whoever was in that thing had to be six eleven. I mean, go back and see if you can find any clips on it. But that mascot was walking around, and it had to be the biggest mascot I've ever seen for a, for a college team. Sorry, just a random point, but we're talking game day here, okay? <laughs> Dang. <laughs> it's in New York City. I had to look up. Well, let's switch gears here. Talking, and... I didn't no, go know ahead. where Fordham was. I, I assumed New York. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. What? New York's one true team. Do what? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the ex-head coach at Fordham team. is now the offensive coordinator for Penn State. you think about New York City, you think State. about Fordham, and you think about college football. Yeah. That's what they – that's what they – Exactly. <laughs> I heard that about 37 times um, on ESPN this week. <laughs> Uh, anything else about college football this last week? We're going to close with a recruiting hit. Anything else on college football, just this national landscape this last week that we want to highlight before we uh, close out with recruiting content? Yeah, I like how uh, Florida State's still ranked at 0-2. Oh. That's impressive. Yeah, ranked 25 <laughs> in the coaches' so poll. A, what a joke. How, how bad How bad it, did it look for Kevin Sumlin that Arkansas scored all the points? Total joke. And TCU was able to hold – Arkansas to seven points and basically did nothing. Oh yeah. No, it's a different measuring stick because it's man, Come on, I like Arkansas's uniforms though. Yeah, that's actually a good cool. thing. You know that it just means more. It just means more. It just yeah, I thought means... they looked all right. Yeah, it did look pretty cool. I thought they were dumb. I loved that in about a 30-second period, you had Surrender Cobra, Aggie, and then you had Surrender Cobra, Hog, between How the many touchdown times I showed Jerry Jones? and then Christian Kirk running that uh, kickoff back. It was just like beautiful crowd scan. That was great. That was great. I saw him a couple times, yeah. I didn't I see him. Either, I don't know. I didn't watch Probably a dozen. I only saw him a couple times. Oh, Jerry. Big Arkansas's finest right there, baby. Well, let's close out. Jeremy, Jeremiah, you got anything on recruiting that I know our listeners would be interested in? Anything you want to share with us on the way out the door about uh, guys on Commitment Watch, anybody that's been on campus lately? I know our folks want to hear more about that. Jeremy, can I I throw a question to Jeremy while we're all here? Um, Yeah, I saw uh, after the game yesterday a certain LSU commit 
was uh, seemed to be pretty impressed with TCU's win, and they were tweeting about it. Um, and some of the TCU commits were um, kind of, you know, tweeting or liking what he was saying. And then I started noticing he started liking other TCU commits posts. So it's interesting because I haven't heard much said about him, but Chase and Hines, the big 350-pound offensive guard that's committed to LSU, um, that might oh, be yeah. an interesting. I mean, they're, to they're looking at, they always recruited Chase as a guard or a defensive tackle. He was kind of one of those guys that they felt could come in, and, and if he didn't work out on offense, he could play defense and vice versa. Um, I've seen Chase in person a couple times, and I think he could uh, – play more I, I think he's a, a really really talented uh lineman whether it's offense or defense offensive lineman he's he's never going to play tackle he's going to be guard but if you see how tcu's using their uh offensive lineman i mean patrick morris was a center and uh i mean he's not the biggest guy in the world and, and chasen's not real tall but he, he is heavy but man as a defensive tackle when when they went out and tried to get uh Calvin Avery and and uh, Coburn and and they missed out on those guys. Chasing Hines is a is a, a guy that could come in even though he's listed as an offensive lineman. I think that guy could come in and really make an impact as a defensive tackle. I mean he is he's built like uh, Calvin and uh, Keandre are. Um, he, he's very quick. He's very very quick uh, considering his size. He's got great explosion, great upper body strength. Uh, he, he's pretty agile for his size too. He, he does a uh, he, he uses spin well. He could bull rush. I mean, he's he's the whole package at defensive tackle. And I even told our guys that do the rankings that he should probably be rated as a defensive tackle because he's better at that position. But I could definitely see him uh, being one of those guys that they go after and, and uh, tell them, hey, we need a lineman or we can use defensive tackle. And, and he was open to that uh, way of them recruiting him early on. And, and I'm sure he would still look at that because – whether he's going to be an offensive lineman or defensive lineman, he will see the field one way or another. And we did see him in Frisco at, at the, uh, the Nike uh, camp and, and he was three fifty. He weighed in three fifty that day at six, two and a half. And there's a little bit of bad weight there, but that's just a big human being. I mean, even if TCU whipped him into TCU shape, you're looking at a guy that probably plays at 335, 340. I think there's going to be a, a good list of recruits coming guy. in for so West Virginia. So he's an interesting guy to watch. Um, you know, the sad thing about uh, TCU having a bye, they, they, they get a bye coming off a big win against Oklahoma State, but West Virginia gets a bye too. So it's not like TCU is going to have an advantage over West Virginia in the game planning. But um, there's certainly going to be a, a lot of recruits there to impress. I was impressed with the group that came out for SMU. We saw Willie Allen, uh, Micah Baskerville was there. Cam Brown, the UCLA commit was there. Uh, Larry Brown's son, um, just a few of the big names. Ian Burnett was there. Of course you had all the commitments there like Bryson Jackson and Tajon Henry. Um, but it, it was, it was pretty, pretty good list of recruits there uh, against SMU. Cause SMU is not like a, a marquee program like a like a name that you're going to bring in a lot of recruits i mean i'm not trying to talk bad about smu or anything but it's not it's not a big 12 team it's not texas it's not baylor it's not west virginia that's coming into the house where you want to have a lot of recruits coming in to watch the game but it was a pretty impressive list and and i would be on the watch i know they're they're still uh looking at willie allen pretty hard they haven't offered him yet 
I do know that. Um, but man, Willie was decked out in the purple TCU hat and the purple TCU button up. And he's all about the frogs right now. And, and I'm sure anyone at the stadium had to see him. I mean, he, he was the biggest human being on the sideline that day besides the actual players. But um, you could tell he's really excited that he's going to have a chance to go to TCU. All, all it's going to take is them saying, Hey, Willie, you, you ready to come here? And he's going to say, yes, sir. And he's going to sign in December and he'll be there in, in uh, June. Anybody we should be on commitment some, watch for? Uh, anybody you feel like could be pulling the trigger in the next couple weeks? Kids to keep weeks. an eye on. Uh, Levante Chenault is a uh, is a guy that really likes TCU and TCU showing him a lot of interest. Um, right now, he's probably the the biggest guy I can see that's that's on the commitment watch list for eighteen. I think they're kind of taking their time because there's some guys out there that they do have a chance with. Our Darius Washington's one of them. Um, obviously Jason Hines, obviously Micah Baskerville. Those are some of the guys that are committed to other programs right now that they're still kind of looking at. So, um, I don't think it's going to be one of those classes guys where they get a, they get a Terrell Cooper late in the, late in the uh, process where not, not a whole lot of people knew who Terrell Cooper was. And then all of a sudden they're, they're landing him. Um, but, I think for now, the, the guys that will close out the class might be committed to other schools. And I don't want to get people's hopes up and people posting on the board. Who's the commits that are committed to other schools that are going to commit to us, JC? I, I'm just, that's just my overall feeling. I don't have a list of names or anything like that. That's just my overall feeling about how TCU's playing right now. It's going to open some eyes for some other guys. But um, one guy that's not committed right now that you know could be could be rethinking – the frogs a little bit, and he's always thought about TCU a lot. Is uh, uh, Deshaun Jameson? So just keep an eye out for Deshaun Jameson. I mean, TCU's still very much in the hunt, and uh, you know it's going to be a tough battle against Texas. I'm not saying he's going to commit to TCU over Texas, but TCU's still very much in it. I was waiting for you to ask. Who are that. the guys that are committed to other schools that might end up committing to TCU? <laughs> yeah, I laid it up like a softball for you, didn't I? Yeah, it, it was. You saw it coming. You saw it coming. Oh, God. that's right. Well, fellas, we have hit the hour mark, which I know is about half of the commute for most people on a on a good day in DFW. So, I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. We are going to bring things to a to a to a conclusion here after we celebrate this awesome win over Oklahoma State. We had a lot to talk about. Next week, we'll have a bye week. I'm sure we'll do something. Probably won't have a game to talk about. But then the week after, West Virginia. Just let me make this plea as somebody that lives 17 hours away. away if you can be at that, if it's humanly possible for you to be at that game, get there, wear whatever T-shirt they tell you to wear, and scream your lungs out. We want to have an intimidating home field advantage for the West Virginia game. I'm hoping it's a night game. I'm hoping it's a great atmosphere. If you can hear this and you can be there, my goodness, get to that game. We want to we want to create some home field advantage there when we take on the Mountaineers because it's rough when we go there. We want to create a competitive environment when they come to Fort Worth. So as always, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating. You can 
can also find us on Google Play. You see our stuff on social media. If any of us tweet that stuff out, please please give us a like. Please give us a retweet. We are getting record downloads every week now. Our numbers just keep growing, and we want to continue to expand this uh, this podcast for people that love TCU, love TCU football, and maybe don't know what we're doing. We'd love for you to follow along. So for Trey and for Daniel, for Jeremy and Jeremiah, I'm Jeff, and thanks so much for listening to the broadcast.